Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Well, I had a wonderful message prepared on communion, but this, you know, I'm usually pretty in sync with God throughout the week where I basically come in and I just let you in on the conversation that I had with the Holy Spirit all week long. But today was different, and I think it was, you know, borne witness by the prophet Tracy Crane this morning because I was, um, (laughs) I woke up and I had this message on my heart. And, you know, I, I, knew, I knew they'd be here, and I felt like, you know, I need to have Mike step in at the end of this and, and, um, and comment. So I'm going to talk a little bit on a different, I mean, I just said all I want to preach about is Jesus, and I will get back around. But today, is, it's a little bit different. I'm going to just, this is just on my heart. This is not prepared. So y'all follow with me. Just pretend like we're sitting in the living room having a conversation, and y'all just have to listen to my thoughts for a few minutes. You're all right with that? You know, we see just crazy things happening in our country, and we're almost made to believe that it's about a bathroom. (laughs) It ain't about a bathroom. It's not about a bathroom. Meaning, the idea of can people that dress a different gender, however you want to label it, I'm sure I will offend somebody, however I say it, so it doesn't, I don't really, I'm not really worried. But it's not about a bathroom. Now, this will probably sound pretty fundamentalistic. Is that a word? Can I say it that way? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, right wing, whatever you want to call it. But, but I'm telling you, this is, this is where we are. It's, it's not about, the, the church, unfortunately, right now is more known for what it's against than the kind of hope that it inspires. And so I've been just listening and watching and probably inappropriately posting some things out there on social media when I try to should keep my mouth shut, you know, and stuff like that. We all do it. It's not your job to make us happy. It's not my job to make you happy. Yeah, that's a different subject. <laughs> but you look and you, you want to step back. You want to say, okay, God. See, because here's the deal. We're not really fighting those battles, right? That's a smokescreen for the hearts of people. That's the battle. The battle is, do people know that God loves them? Regardless of what they went through, regardless of how they're identifying themselves, regardless of legislation that gets passed, regardless of how legislators respond to corporations and all that stuff that happens, it's all a smokescreen for the hearts of people. Now, and I don't mean a dualistic battle between the devil and God. Because where we stand as the church is victorious. I mean, we've already won. God has already won. Christ is on the throne. It's just a matter of his victory spreading throughout the land until people realize, oh, we're free. We don't have to fight these battles anymore. God is good. This is our good king, you know. I mean, when you, when you, when you don't know the character of your God, you fight against him. You, you even fight to say he doesn't even exist. And that's our job as the church is to reveal the character of God to the world. But we don't do it through intellectual arguments. We do it through spiritual means by love, 
Love is our only weapon. It's the only thing that won't fail. If you're going to fight a battle, use a weapon that won't fail. Love. That's the only one that won't fail. Love is not pacifism. Love is not uh, uh, soft, and it's not in your face. It can be sometimes, but it's not about using the means of this world to have these conversations. See, where we are as a society, as a nation, and as a world, we're the body of Christ in the middle of that. It's, it's kind of like the body of Christ is trying to figure out how to grow up. You know, I think the body of Christ is at maybe like an adolescent, maybe early 20s phase. We're, we're a bunch of idealists. When you're in your 20s, you're an idealist. You think this is just the way it should be, and I'm right because I see it, and that's just, that's just it. Everybody should be this way. You know, and then you hit 30, and you're like, well, that didn't work out too well, did it? And you hit 40, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I hadn't hit 50 yet, so I won't go there. But, you know, I think that's where the church is. The church is kind of in this idealistic phase that we think if we can present the truth, regardless of what happens, the truth, it's like, well, that mindset is a battle and you've, you're fighting a battle that's already been won. The battle is not to convince people that the, your, mor- your moral truth is God's standard. That's known. That's a given. Honestly, deep down in people's hearts, if they were to be honest with themselves, they know that. God has been revealed to everyone. Everyone knows what God's moral standards are because it's encoded within them. It's just to the degree to which they're fighting in their own minds and their hearts against submitting to his authority. That's our job is to inspire hope and and not paint a big fluffy cotton candy cloud in the sky of God so that people are like, oh, you know. No, it's, it's, it's love. It's the sacrificial aspect of what he's done. Now, some people are just going to fight it until the day they die. But, and, and I don't have this figured out, but I feel like this is where we're going as a body, and I feel like this is where we're going as, as the, the body of Christ on this planet, is to grow up a little bit. And I don't necessarily mean that we all figure out how to stop sinning, although I think that is a byproduct. I think this holiness that we've been given, because the spirit of the living God has taken up residence within us and cleansed us and removed the root of sin out of us and left us in a righteous state of existence before the Father... I mean, that's the gospel. That's what people, that, if we're going to preach, that's what we need to preach. But live it in such a way where the world says, you know, it's like we're, we're having these conversations down here about bathrooms and different kinds of legislation and different kinds of this. And it's like, no, we need to lift our eyes up a little bit and recognize what's really happening. Because the influence that is dragging the conversation down to that level is one entity. And it's the enemy. Now, you guys know I don't talk about the devil very much because he's absolutely defeated. What I know about the enemy is a little bit of firsthand experience. I mean, you know, I might be the only pastor that you know that was possessed. I don't know, maybe some of y'all had some other ones. <laughs> what I mean is a little bit of insight I have into the way that he works, and, he, and all he wants to do is bring division and get you distracted. You know, our nation is distracted right now. We're having the conversation on the wrong level. And the church has got to figure out how to rise up, and people that are the body of Christ in the places that have influence need to learn how to rise up. And I don't mean 
legislate righteousness so that we right. like create a, mor- a moral standard through carnal constructs, it, that won't work for very long. But in those places, and that's why I asked Mike to stand up and share at the end of this, is that anywhere we go, we need to learn as believers how to not be drugged down by the distractive tactics of the world and carnality and the enemy, but have the conversation from the level of victory. Have the conversation from the level of, I am so confident in the character of God and the salvation power through the blood of Jesus, I'm going to have the conversation on that level. Not necessarily that you're trying to evangelize the person, but that's your awareness of what and who that you are, and you want to present the environment. You want to affect the environment so that people rise their minds up a little, raise their minds up a little bit. Now, I don't know how to always do this. I think it's a moment-by-moment, situation-by-situation thing where you just follow the Holy Spirit. I think this heart journey that we're on of learning how to just day-by-day shift our attention away from what distracts us onto the truth so that we're mindful of God's ways of thinking so that he has a root within us to lead so that we will follow. But this is my prayer for me for this church, for the body of Christ, is that however it looks, that we learn how to not fight what we're against, but lead toward hope. See, people that are confused, people that are trying to define themselves based on carnality and based on a lot of people that are fighting that battle internally, they're fighting it because of something that happened to them in their past. I mean, the statistics just bear that out. It's like, you know, it's like if I were a football star in high school and and I'm in my 50s now, but I still think of myself as that hot shot in high school and that in my past is defining me now. It's the same way that people, people that are confused about identity, people that are, you know, even trying to intellectually argue that God doesn't exist, It points back to something that happened in their past, and they're using that as a reference. Now, not always every scientist looks back and says, well, this happened and I didn't understand. I mean, I get a genuine pursuit of truth, but I think, you know, I don't necessarily know how to remedy that other than somehow to infuse truth into the situation. And I I think that comes from the body of Christ learning how to grow up. I don't know how to do that just yet. I think we're all figuring that out. We're all figuring out how to, how, to, how to present the gospel in such a way that it inspires hope where people, you know, there's going to be offense. You're just going to offend people. And again, I'm not talking about getting in people's face and preaching the gospel, but I'm talking about recognizing there's an influence that's affecting people. How can I release the influence that will draw people toward hope and draw people toward life? Because it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. It's like we forget God's methods and God's logic and that God's truth bears fruit when we try to have these conversations. And, you know, I get it. Some of us are afraid or not necessarily afraid, but we don't want to come across as the preachy, know-it-all, you know, Jesus or nothing type person. And, and, but it is Jesus or nothing. But, it's, but you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's this balance, you know. I mean, I'm a pastor and I still don't want to come across that way. I'll be at a party or something, and somebody's standing there holding a beer, and we get to talking, you know, five minutes in, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm a pastor. (laughs) 
I don't want people to go toward legalism. I want people to go toward hope when we talk about God. So the influence that we're dealing with is a, it's a Luciferian influence. Now, it goes all the way back to the garden, and the original influence in the garden from the enemy was to get people to question God. The Luciferian influence, and, and it has permeated pretty much all of society, the logic in the way of thinking, in that God is not to be trusted you need to take care of this on your own. You see it in the movies. You see it in government. You see it in, in secularism, humanism. You see it in our science books. It's like, okay, Lucifer rebelled against God because he wanted to be God. When that didn't work out, he sought out to bring corruption. He sought out to just get people to distrust God because he knew if he could drive a wedge between God and his people then that would give him some sort of sense of victory. I mean, we don't really know the mindset of why he did what he did. But the, the fundamental aspect of the Luciferian influence is to drive a wedge between God and people. When the very thing we need to do is look at him and trust him. And as we trust him, it's like a flower planted in the sun that will grow. And so what the world has done is cast shadows between us and God to make us feel like we're standing in the dark cut off from him. You see it in intellectualism. You, you, you see the arguments that, well, we've gotten to a place where we don't need God because we can explain everything else. It's the same Luciferian influence that we don't really need him. We can do this on our own. That's where Adam and Eve went from the very beginning. God, we don't really need you. We think we've got this figured out. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to use our own logic to facilitate our dominion over this place. Now, if I was God, I wouldn't have given us such control over this place. But that's the reason it's so messed up, right? Like, I don't trust those people down there. I'm, they need to put some more boundaries in place. But, but he is a God of freedom. And we don't understand all that. There's hard questions that we, that we all struggle with. Well, why would he allow the influence? And, why? and it's like, you know, without freedom, there is no real sense of, uh, of relationship. There is no real sense of, of identity, no real sense of accomplishment, no real sense of a choice to actually trust. That's why I believe about this country when, you, when it talks about, you know, they argue with, they, they thought they were, when they put God in the Constitution, that it was just kind of a, a universal term. Like, that's the argument now. Well, they weren't talking about the Christian God. They were just talking about the universe and the, the influence of, of knowledge itself. Well, no other God values freedom. Think about this. This is a big deal. We went up to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and we walked through Mount Vernon. And, you know, say what you will about the Founding Fathers. There's weird stuff, but... But they told you about this conversation. They, you, you're walking through George Washington's home, and there's a room. And anybody been there? Anybody toured Mount Vernon? There's a room that they tell you about, and they said that's the room that he would have gone into and talked with people like, you know, Jefferson and those guys. And they would have sat in that room, in that room, and had these conversations. And I'm telling you, it hit me that I could see them in there having a conversation, and I felt like one of the conversations, probably a, a large part of the conversation, was how do we construct a society 
that will remain, that will understand the freedom that it has, but choose to remain free. How do we get people to take that kind of responsibility? And man, it hit me. Because as a pastor, that's the question that I have. How in the world do we set people free from sin, but get them to take responsibility to not fall back into sin? How do you get people set free from you know, tithing, but yet you but inspire generosity in people? How do you get people set free from having to please God in their actions, but yet devote their lives to serving Him, you know? I think this is the conversation they would have had, and it's totally reflective of this nation and where we are. And so we've been distracted by this Luciferian influence that wants to put a wedge between us and God, and the enemy is using the church to stand between people and God. I don't want to be used that way. You know, I don't, I don't want that. I want the church to be able to rise up and say, this is where we, this is who we are. This is who God is. We want to inspire you to hope. So you have leaders, and I don't mean the seven mountains thing. Anybody heard of the seven mountains type of thinking? It's kind of a, in a, in a section of charismatic way of thinking is that, you know, that, that God is going to inspire leaders in the seven pillars of society, you know, government and sports and media and whatever. I don't know what all the seven pillars are. But it's like, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about where we figure out how to righteously use carnal constructs to, let, to, to, to reveal the kingdom. I think once the kingdom is fully revealed, you don't need government. You don't need, you know, I mean, we might play football in heaven. I don't know. But you don't, you don't need media. You don't need the things that we're trying to take over as the church to try to bring righteousness into the planet. You know what I'm saying? Like when the kingdom has full revelation, you don't need all the stuff that we're trying to take over to legislate righteousness. But what we do need is while we are here, people in those places to rise up and lead in hope, not rise up. To just, to just, you know, fight the fight of truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? But to fight the fight of faith. How do we stay principled, but yet draw as many people to God as possible? See, it's not about a bathroom. Because I've had conversations. Well, it's like, well, how are we going to love people if we're going to set these standards? It's like, no. You know what? You, you have to stick to the principles of godly wisdom. And if it looks like it's offensive to this person, it's only because we are, we are adhering to what is within us. Now, how we do that is different in every situation. And that's where we can get into that idealistic mindset of this is the right thing to do, so this is what we have to do. You know, we have to follow God how to walk those kinds of things out in every situation. But I want this church, me as a pastor, and the body of Christ at large on this planet to be leaders toward hope, to be, to be a, a message of God's goodness that leads to repentance. That, that it's like we're not worried about who's president, but we know that if we have influence, we can stand up and inspire and bring, and bring hope. You know, I mean, real hope and change. Not just a slogan. 
this Luciferian agenda that we see is, you know, there, there is actually a religion of Luciferianism. And it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily adhered to to the degree that we would say a religion. You see it in some of the elitist mindset. The Luciferian, uh, like, religious mindset would say that there's dualism. There's the devil and there's God and they're battling. And God might even be the bad guy because all Lucifer was trying to do is just help out mankind. Lucifer was just trying to come and bring light and bring knowledge and bring freedom from this oppressive God up there. That's kind of the Luciferian mindset. It's that, you know, he's just the rebel to bring truth. It's weird, right? You see it in Mormonism. You see it in, in the, the, the Watchtower. What is it? The Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, you see that mindset in a lot of the, you know, a lot of those that have perverted Christianity. So that's my prayer. I'm just going to end it here and bring Mike up. But it, it, it's my prayer that we as a church individuals in our roles figure out a way to not be distracted by the battles that the enemy would try to drag us down to, but realize that we, we actually, here's what we are as believers. We are messengers sent into this world to tell people the battle is already over, the victory is already won, it's finished in Jesus invite them into that kingdom. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I mean, you know, we want to fight. I don't want in our public schools transgender bathrooms. I don't know any person in their, you know, common sense mind wants that. But it's like, okay, let's walk that out in wisdom. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but let's not be afraid and worry. Let's realize that's a distraction. We want to be agents of hope and declarers of the truth. Amen? Amen. Mike, why don't you come on up here? And uh, I'm sure this is, if, if, it's, if God works like I know he does, I'm sure it's probably right along the same kinds of lines, so we'll get you going here. And, and um, I'll just say there is an election, May 24th, right? I've heard such a thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thank what's you, on Pastor. your heart? Um, yeah, the prophet Tracy, um, we, we, like about we, 20, 20 minutes if you want that much time, uh, whatever, whatever the Lord has in store. Amen. Um, today's her birthday. Oh, happy, y'all birthday. Say happy birthday to Tracy. She wanted me to sing, um, for her. I did. So I'm going to have to do that. Y'all have to wait. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do a song for her. So. We may share it in church. We may just do it at home. But, uh, I, you know, how, how is it, and we, as you were talking, Pastor, this morning, how is it that we've allowed Satan to take the church? And I could see the wedge you were talking about between us and God. I mean, it, in, in my mind, as a builder, we use wedges for all kinds of things, and it's usually to correct something that's wrong right, that's out, of, that's tilted or it's not level or plumb, and you use a wedge to fix that. But the, the devil uses this wedge to, to ruin what Christ has done for us. And how is it we've allowed ourselves to not be the remover of that wedge, but be the hammer to drive it in? I mean, that's what the church is doing in, in its self-righteousness, it seems. And I very challenge... Uh, personally because I have to reflect back and say what am I in this place of leadership that the people have granted to me for a season 
what have I done? Have, have, have I driven that wedge in or am I pulling the wedge out? And so I'm challenged there. And I think each of us should be in our own lives as we minister the gospel in each and every day of our lives. Are we driving the wedge or are we pulling it out? And Tracy says it all the time as we go on the campaign trail. She says, this is our family's mission field in, in, in government. And it's not to establish a theocracy in law, but it's to, it's to honor God. It's to reflect Him. And I'm, I'm reminded, as I think back, the first speech I ever gave politically was back in 2000 and, oh goodness, 2009, 2010. Um, I actually had to pay money to give the speech. <laughs> I paid two grand to give a three-minute speech. It was at an event. It was a big event, so it was just to get on that stage you had to pay to do this. And I don't know if it's out there to see, but if you go back, I tell the story of Nehemiah. I mean, that was my first political speech ever. And so that's what's been on my heart this whole last few weeks is the story of Nehemiah. We look at nations, you know, particularly Israel. The biblical history shows us this. It's, it's, you know, this, the nation rises and the nation falls. The nation rises and the nation falls. And what's, what causes that? Is it the economic cycle? Well, it's not. Is it, is it um, something going on on the world stage? Well, it's not. What is it? It's where are the hearts of the people in relationship to God. And oftentimes that's always reflected in the hearts of its leaders, and so I've thought to myself, when's the last leader we've had in this nation that truly honored God in the right way, didn't use God as the wedge driver, but actually exalted him as redeemer, as savior, as, as the creator of all things in, in a way that drew us to repentance, right? That drew us closer to God. I couldn't re- honestly remember one, but I, I'm looking for one. And so then I'm going, so we do that. Then we go, oh, well, the current candidate doesn't fit that. So I'm staying home. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm mad. I'm taking my toys, and I'm leaving the sandbox. You know, that's, that's, how, that's how we as Christians act sometimes, in our righteous indignation. But then look at, look at all those ups and downs. Look at who the leaders of the world was. In Nehemiah's time, was that a god? Was Artaxerxes a, a godly man? Absolutely not. And he effectuated the restoration of Jerusalem because there was, the church had influence. The church had Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah called the body and said, let's go rehang the gates. Let's go rebuild the walls. Let's honor God. And the people did. And God used Artaxerxes to do that. God used Pharaoh through Joseph to save a world that would have the starvation that was coming. And so God doesn't need to have us at the highest places. But you always see us on the field, don't you? You see David enter the field of battle. There were all kinds of warriors on the field that day. Strong, mighty warriors, proven in all kinds of ways. And then here comes David. And you've got your Josephs. And what about Daniel? 
Nebuchadnezzar, was he a godly man? Oh, my word. (laughs) He wasn't, but he saw the light, didn't he? How did he see it? Did he see it in a bad representation of God's restorative work, or did he see it in the beauty of Daniel's life? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did he see? Did they sit there and in in his face and said, no, my God will deliver me. The message is so beautiful. The message of salvation is so beautiful. You don't have to tell people what's wrong with their lives. You got to show them what's right with God. And I'm telling you, it works. It'll fix the bathroom signs. It'll fix fix everything. But it's going to take We need to be in places of influence to do that. And so all over the nation, there's folks. I've seen them. I've been to Washington, and I've met folks. They're there. There's people that that honor and exalt God. Some of the folks I sat down and had dinner with up in Washington, they're, they're not a lot of them. They're a remnant. But I said, you know, there's a single common thread in all of them. And you know what it is? It's not their Republicans. It's not their Democrats. It's not that at all. It's that they love God. And I believe the desire of their heart is to honor him. And somehow that's going to manifest itself. It just is because that's how God works. He's not waiting for us to exert ourselves on behalf, but really goes back to what Pastor said. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to put our faith in him and just really trust him when things look the worst? Uh, we, we can just go down that trail real, all day long about how bad things look and how it's going. But honestly, <laughs> the battle's won. It's all done, friends. And we, we should be of the most good cheer. But if you get in a room with a lot of people of faith and they start talking this stuff, it'll bring you down real quick. Where's the hope in it all? No, they just, mostly all you say is, Lord Jesus, just come. Just come, all right? You know, that, you hear it all the time. Just take us all now, Lord, please. Oh, you know. I, I, like, I like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, my God will deliver us. They, you know what they said before that? Oh, king, live forever. They're saying that to that evil man that's about to throw them into the fire. Oh, king, live forever. But my God, I'm not going to kneel to your whatever nonsense you've got going on. I'm going to stand and honor God. Throw us into the fire. And they marveled because who was in the fire with them? He's always going to be there. But they wouldn't have seen that. They would not have seen that. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have seen Christ if they hadn't got thrown in the fire. And they wouldn't have got thrown in the fire if they didn't trust God because they would have kneeled. Amen? So I'm telling you, we should be of much courage and much hope. It, it's all good, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all good in God. And we, we sang it this morning. He is good. He is God. He is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're, we're, it's a finished thing in Him. This beautiful, blessed hope we have. I mean, that folks ask me all the time, how is it you, you buried your you know, mother last week? 
and yet you rejoice. I said, how could I not? How could I not? I mean, for those that got to come to the service, um, I, I almost felt bad about being so happy about the goodness of God because my faith grew a little two sizes that day. I felt like the Grinch. You know, it just, ooh, two sizes my faith grew because I knew the reality of my mom. I knew it for certain because she was looking down and says, if you only knew. We, she knows right now everything we ever hoped for. All our loved ones that have gone before us know right now everything we've ever hoped for in such a way that we can't imagine. And so that's what compels us forward. That's what rises and exalts nations are people that have their eyes set and oriented properly. If we're down here in the weeds arguing over signs on doors, you know, I'll sing an old song. You know, sign, sign everywhere, sign, do this, don't do that. Can't you read? All right, you know how old you are if you know that song, right? <laughs> and the sign says you got to have a membership card to get inside, doesn't it? Right? No, not in Christ. He made a way. He made a way. i tell you what, I get so excited about God. Somebody said, somebody told me, said, Mike, you weren't called to Washington, you were called to preach. You know, I said, can't you do both? And, um, and we'll see what that all looks like. But I just, don't we all love telling it? That's what I love about this church, because I look around this room, and I see ministers of the gospel. I see absolute ambassadors for Christ everywhere. It's one of the most unique bodies of churches I've ever been in, because I don't know anyone in this body that doesn't minister life to people all the time. This isn't the Sunday-only church. It's a beautiful thing. Y'all came here because you get it. And this is what's beautiful about it. And this is why this, this will grow and impact our community in such a big way. Because we don't just do it on Sunday. We do it every day. God is good. He's always good and always will be. And we just need to be faithful and trust him. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks. Stay up there for a second.